as Solomon prayed, will indeed God dwell on the earth? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There was so much to ponder this week, but I was attracted particularly to one pundit whose name I can't remember, commenting on the situation in Afghanistan. And he said, I think very sagely, you know, part of the problem here, the reason that we were not able to understand how chaos would descend when we withdrew from and turned Afghanistan's over to the tender mercies of the Taliban is that people in the West have been approaching this whole thing from a secular point of view, thinking that people over there think just the way we do, that if we simply offer rational and economic reasons to assess risk and reward, they'll do what we think they should. But what we have forgotten in this culture is that there are people around the world who actually believe that there is a God who tells them what they're supposed to do. And we don't understand the profoundly religious motivations of people who oppose us. You're well aware that the largest group of the largest number of people rising in numbers in this country uh, when it comes to religion are people who say, I have no religious affiliation or interest, the so-called nuns. And and that's not N-U-N-S, that's N-O-N-E-S. It reminds me of a story related to me, I don't know if it's true, but it should be true, it probably is true, of um, a gathering here whether for a funeral or a wedding, and one of our congregants overheard a person in the pew in front of them, turn to the person next to them, point up to our image of the welcoming Jesus, and saying, who is that guy? Who is that guy? That guy becomes more and more incomprehensible to people in our culture. Which means, brothers and sisters, what an extraordinary opportunity and challenge for you and me to make that guy make sense. And for people to have a reason to live and die for something more, to live and die for him. So I think it's a wonderful thing that our lectionary has given us several weeks of readings from Solomon and his writings. And so, Josh, having introduced last week the wisdom of Solomon's wise request for wisdom, I want to give a little overture to the, to the next couple of weeks of readings in, in Solomon. Today, and And over the course of these three weeks, I'd like you to appreciate three profound gifts that Solomon gives to the people of God. The first this week, he's built the temple and goes into the temple to lead God's people's worship. Second, I'd like you to appreciate next week, 
how he gives us the song of songs, a peon to love. And then the, the third week, we begin a short uh, series of readings in the book of Proverbs, where Solomon gives us wisdom. A house, the temple, a song about love, and words of wisdom. And what's in my mind is a, is a passage from another gospel, Matthew, where Jesus says, look, before you stands one who is greater than Solomon. What I'd like you and me to appreciate is while Solomon gives us a grand and glorious temple, Jesus builds a greater house and leads a richer worship. While Solomon is able to give us a lovely meditation and song about love, there has come to us a greater lover. And while Solomon is able to give us wise and sage counsel and wisdom about life, one who is greater than Solomon who comes to embody God's wisdom and to be with and to give us wisdom. So first, today's passage, the, the temple, that David has given Solomon all the equipment, all the, all the resources that he needs to build this house. And Solomon builds it and leads the procession in. And the Lord's presence, the Shekinah glory, is so overwhelming that priests, they've got to evacuate for a while. And then Solomon prays this profound prayer. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Well, yes, in a sense, he will, because he says, my name will be there. And everyone who comes and turns towards that house and prays, I will answer. And it, is only, it has only seemed appropriate for Christians through the centuries to build houses that say the same sort of thing that that glorious, beautiful temple did, that God is real and true and has a profound story that he wants to, that he wants to impress upon us, impress into our lives. I, I know I've said it before, I never tire of, of thinking of it. The day that Mrs. Kidd and I first walked into this place for worship, and she grabbed me and she said, dude, you finally brought me to a real church. And indeed, to have my eyes lifted to the heavens from the loft of this building, to be surrounded by the 12 pillars of Israel and the 12 apostles, to have the story of Jesus recounted in the windows on the lower story, and the saints who are, who are, are, are the witnesses to the glory of God in the upper story. The, the beautiful picture of creation in the rose window in that direction. And then up here, three profound portraits of Jesus. The suffering Jesus who gives himself up for our sins. The conquering Alpha and Omega Jesus who will come back and make his rule apparent to the whole world. And in the meantime, the Jesus who both welcomes and sends. To have acoustics that just make the song of Jesus in the midst of his people just glorious and reverberate in my heart and in our hearts and to walk into a place where 
For decades, the walls and the pillars have been soaked, have been soaking in the incense of prayer so that it smells like prayer the minute you walk in it. I, I, I love it. I love just being here. I love to be able to worship here. And I so appreciate your investment over the last um, couple of years in the Light Legacy and Love uh, project that's enabled us to you know, enhance and refurbish some of this. And I appreciate the gang that came out yesterday under Kay Leonard's le- leadership and, and, and put down some mulch so that, well, so that it looks prettier outside. I love being able to worship this way, but Jesus isn't any more a prisoner of this building than God was a prisoner of the temple of the Old Testament because Jesus says one greater than Solomon has come. And the writer to the Hebrews says it's his presence in our midst that makes church happen, makes church happen. That's why Christians can worship and Jesus can be no less present in 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 grass houses, in, in clay huts, in, uh, in gymnasiums, in converted roller skating rinks, in a, a church that we went to for a number of years that's just a pretty much a plain building and they had a sign out front that said, the meeting place of the church of, because Jesus is building a different kind of house. As the greater Solomon, he's building a house made up of living stones, stones made up of you and me. And it's an extraordinary thing that we do when we make that God visible, when we come together week after week and respond to Jesus' leadership of worship, when he, as the writer to the Hebrew says, declares God's name over us, sings in our midst intercedes for us and takes our prayers to the right hand of the Father and hosts us at his table. So, praise God that he led Solomon to build a house. Praise God even more that he gave his son to be the greater Solomon to build a better house and to lead deeper and richer worship. Secondly, the Song of Songs. How many thousands of wives did Solomon have? He took a very, 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 very too close look at love between a man and a woman. By God's grace, he crystallized it all in this lovely love song, the Song of Songs, where across the pages dance the romance of of the groom and the bride wooing one another and drawing one another into their embraces and their kisses and their commitments to one another. Solomon, in the Song of Songs, explores for us the sheer wonder that love between a man and a woman is, and then he sacramentalizes it. Because from the very beginning, Jewish interpreters saw saw that there was a celebration of love between a man and a woman, but they also saw that it was, that was a sacrament, a picture of Yahweh's love for Israel. And from the very beginning, Christian interpreters saw in the same picture, not a rejection of human love, but an embracing of it, and then an invitation to look beyond it, to the love of Christ for his church, 
and the beloved's response to her divine lover. And in the New Testament, Jesus comes as a greater than Solomon, one whom Paul calls the bridegroom for his church, one who comes as bridegroom of the church and lover of souls. And so, of course, say in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ becomes a model for men and women to give themselves sacrificially so that with one another we might embody the great romance of God's love for his church. But so that nobody feels left out of this picture, equally prized, perhaps even more passionately embraced by those who, whatever the providence, have been called to celibacy and singleness, have embraced this picture even more poignantly, sometimes more deeply, sometimes more insightfully. Listen to these words from Bernard of Clairvaux, the 11th century abbot, as he extends the Bible's picture of Christ's love for the church to Christ's love for the soul of the believer. Listen to these words. The bridegroom's love, Christ, or rather the love which is the bridegroom, asks in return from us nothing but faithful love. Let the beloved then, us, our soul, let us love in return. Should not a bride love, and above all, loves, capital L, loves bride? Could it be that love not be loved? Rightly then, does she give up all other feelings and give herself wholly to love alone? In giving love back, all she can do is respond to love. And so... One of Solomon's gifts, anticipating one who loved even more greatly than he was able, is to teach us that the more you are loved, the more you love, the more you know what it is to be loved. And third, in his Proverbs, Solomon offers us wisdom. He builds the temple that God tells him to build. He studies, he studies love and teaches us a lot about how to love and to be loved. And he studies life and tells us a lot about how to live. Solomon's wisdom is summarized in 1 Kings chapter 4 at the end of the chapter. Listen, God gave Solomon great wisdom discernment and breadth of understanding as vast as the sand of the seashore. He was wiser than anyone else. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. 
He would speak of trees from the cedar that is in the Lebanon to the hyssop that grows in the wall. He would speak of animals and birds and reptiles and fish. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And so Solomon was a profound student of the heavens and the earth that his creator made and has underlay the, has been the inspiration for us to explore that creation after him. A profound student of natural science. But he was equally as profound a student of human nature, of soul craft, or the psychology of being human. Solomon's wisdom you may remember this story, is exemplified in the way he handled the matter of two prostitutes who come to him for judgment. Notice he doesn't judge them. He simply deals with the problem that they present to him. These two prostitutes live together. Each has had a baby boy within a few days of each other. And then one claims that the other accidentally has smothered her own baby boy in her sleep and switched that dead baby out with hers. They come to Solomon and Solomon says, give me a sword. I'll split the baby in half and each can have a half. The true mother says, give her the child. Don't kill him. The false mother says, neither of us will have it. Go ahead and divide it. Solomon realizes the true mother is the one who'd rather have her child live even apart from her. And so he says, give her the living boy. And the narrator concludes, all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to execute justice. And so for a couple of weeks we'll be reading some passages from those Proverbs that that Solomon wrote. And we'll begin next, um, we'll begin in a couple of weeks after a reading from Song of Solomon next week. We'll read a portion from Proverbs 22 where Solomon talks about how generosity returns its benefits anticipating the greater than Solomon who taught it's more blessed to give than to receive and how with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we understand that a life of dissolution and dissipation simply dissolves and empties the self wisdom like that greater wisdom in fact lived in Jesus remember this story when the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus in chapter, chapter 8 of John's gospel with the expectation that he will judge her worthy of being stoned, he bends down, scribbles in the sand, stands up, and invites anyone without sin to cast the first stone. Then he bends back down, resumes his scribbling, and the crowd slowly melts away. None, apparently, is without sin. And oh, by the way, they brought the woman caught in adultery, but they seem to have forgotten about the guy. Well, at any rate, 
Jesus rises. Woman, where, where are they? There's no one to condemn you? Uh, no one, sir. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. In Jesus, says Paul, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Jesus is wise enough to know what motivates you. Where your tender spots are, where your points of resistance are, where you need to be chided, where you need to be affirmed, where you need to be forgiven, and where you need to forgive. Paul further says that if you belong to him, Christ dwells within you. Putting all that wisdom at your disposal by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul prays for you, it's why I pray for you, and it's why you can pray for yourself with confidence. As Paul says in Colossians 1, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual, that's with a capital S, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord. And so, three takeaways. First, going back to God's house and his temple. No, no, please, that it is no small thing that when you come together week after week, whether you can do it here in the room or whether for now you have to do it online, know that when you come together week by week to respond to Jesus' leadership of your worship, his proclamation, his singing, his praying, his hosting, when you do that, you're doing something profound. When you do that, you're taking your place in the spiritual warfare that Paul describes. The warfare that has to be fought by the Spirit for the hearts and minds of people under the sway of the powers and principalities who can't even imagine such a thing. Secondly, remembering back to the Song of Songs, and it's pointing to the love of Christ for his church. In the dark watches of the night, you can know that you're not alone. He is there. When nobody else seems to love you, notice you, care about what's going on in you, there is one who does love you, who's greater than Solomon. This one who is greater than Solomon loves, notices, and cares. Your heavenly groom, Jesus, loves, notices, and cares. Finally, thinking about the Proverbs. As you face decisions that are beyond your capacity to sort them out, and like life right now is death by a thousand decisions with no manual to look it up, right? You're not left alone. You're not, you're not left alone to your own devices. If you belong to Christ, you can ask. You can ask the one who is wiser to Solomon to come to speak to your heart. 
And if you despair of, of our ever finding solutions to things like living in an information age in which people believe in nothing and yet believe in anything, to things like rainfall falling in places in, Gre in Greenland where they ought not to be falling because glaciers are melting, and that, cre that creates a serious scenario for life on this planet, to tribal and sectarian hatred in the Middle East and in Africa, to the cold indifference to the things of God in the West, when, which you feel every time you try to talk with your neighbor about Christ. Remember, remember please that if you belong to Christ, you can ask, Lord, help me, show me. And he who is wiser than Solomon just may give you wisdom and insight to offer something, something to make some small difference. For it is so very true that it is in him and only in him that there are words of eternal life. Now, brothers and sisters, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think to ask. To him be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.